Today with me, I have one of my dear friends, Yasmin. She's an entrepreneur and investor, and I really want our audience to hear some of the thoughts that she has on a variety of topics. I hope to, in this episode, be able to uh, discover uh, something within her uh, piece of wisdom that then she can share with you. So with that being said, Yasmin, welcome to Black Equity. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm truly honored and humbled to be here. And I'm both excited and really just looking forward to having this conversation. And I, I'm excited to see where it takes us. Awesome. Awesome. Me, me as well. So where where are you? I mean, of course, you and I have known each other for a few years, but where are you currently headquartered? Yes. So right now I am in Columbia, South Carolina. Awesome. 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 So I I grew up in Irmo, South Carolina. Okay. Do you, you, you're familiar? Oh, yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I played lacrosse in high school and we had to travel to Irmo. Okay. So um, cool. I do remember Irmo just for that simple fact. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so we, we definitely have that tie there. So you're headquartered in Columbia, South Carolina, but were you, were you born there? Where were you born? I was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo, also known as Zaire, also known as uh, Republic du Congo, you know, in the French pronunciation, but that, that's where I was born in 1994. there yeah I, I think it just cut off for a second i'm still here it's okay so when did you when did you come to the united states okay so at that time actually there was a civil war or the last remnants of the civil war in the congo and my father felt that it was you know it was becoming an unbearable uh, situation for him to raise his family um, and so I was actually sent to Belgium, Europe for three years. And it was um, in 2002 that my father successfully, um, you know, brought his family, my sister and myself over to America. So that was that was in 2002. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the culture. I didn't really know what to expect. So it was <laughs> it was a journey, to say the least. So and that's 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 the journey that I think I really want to learn more about. Okay. So if you are born in Africa, how many years are you there before you go to, you said, Germany or Europe? Um, it was Belgium, Belgium, Europe, not too far away from Germany. Okay. Yes, I was I was five years old, five coming on to six um, when I left for Congo. And so I lived I lived in Europe for those three years and I came to the U.S. when I was nine. Any memories from the Congo? Oh, yes. And, <laughs> oh, yes. What, 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 what so- flashes in your mind? What flashes in your mind? Absolutely. And this is, there's certain things that just stick with you forever. And um, mainly, of course, is the food. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the food, the food is something that I'm always going to carry with me. And it's one of the many reasons that I definitely want to go back home is to kind of remember what food is supposed to taste like, if that makes sense. 
Um, I remember, (laughs) I remember, and you know, and it's funny too, because my mother, she, you know, she has not changed her cuisine since she came to America. We still eat Congolese food very often. So what I I do remember was, you know, just being a little girl and sitting at the table with the family. And mind you, um, our family is very extended. You know, it wasn't just mom, dad, you know, sister and myself. It was mom, dad, cousins, aunties, grandmother, grandfather. Very, you know, it was a very extended family. So our tables, I remember just all the food and how big the tables were and how we, you know, versus how um, here in America, you know, you, you're not really expected to dive in, you know, the place of food with your hands or share. That's how we were back home. We yeah. used our hands. We ate with our hands. And I remember that as a little girl. I remember awesome. the, I remember the color of the dirt. It it was red. I, you know, I remember, <laughs> I remember, and I don't know why that stuck with me all this time as well. But just playing around and having these flashes of memories, I remember the color of the dirt was a very bright, very distinctive red. You know, um, it's funny I you remember, say that because I remember yeah. in Hawaii, I I, uh-huh. I moved to Hawaii when I was I can't remember what age it was, but my 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 parents, my dad was in the army. And I remember a lot of the dirt being like a reddish orange color. Yeah. But here, it's not that. It's not that at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole nother world. It's, it's almost like a different planet. When you're a kid compared to now, you're like, wait, where am I at? Because the dirt feels different. Exactly. And it's something as simple as the dirt, you know. And I think, I think that difference also was symbolic in a way when I came to America. Like I'm literally on new soil. Yeah. So what am I to expect on new soil? What kind of what kind of fruits grow here? What types of things are being planted here? You know, and um I was nine. I was nine years old, you know, when I when I came here to this different soil, this different planet, as you will. Um, and it's been interesting. There's there's a lot of differences that I acknowledged at a very young age. Especially the, the cultural shock. You often hear people like, you know, immigrants, they'll talk about the culture shock. And and it's there. It's very prevalent. <laughs> and um, I remember what was too. It? What was it? What was the biggest thing that hit you first? Um, of course, the language. I mean, it's terrifying being a child, and you know, only being able to communicate with your family members and not knowing, you know, the tongue of the land that you're that you just came to. Um, the language barrier was very frightening. Um, but honestly, again, it was going back to the food. <laughs> the food. Um, one of my earliest memories of of a child here in the U.S. I it was in Charlotte, North Carolina, actually, because that was where um, my father, you know, kind of posted us at the beginning of our American journey. We were all located in Charlotte. I went to Greenway Park Elementary, and that's where I began my e um my ESL lessons, and I was learning the English language. But at the cafeteria, this is where. You know, it really, it, it reminded me like, oh, wait a minute. I'm in a completely different world. Um, I remember being served tater tots for the first time. Mm. And I was like, what is this? Like, why would people fry potato? Like, I didn't know what it was, you know? And I looked around to my peers and they're eating it with such appetite. And I'm just, I was confused. Um, mind you too, because as a child in Belgium, Europe, um, the educational system, especially when it comes to their, their food, was very different. You know, we ate, I remember this too, um, we ate like real meals, you know, and we were served on, on real plates, you know, like, like you would at a dinner table. 
Uh, we were given, you know, real foods. The, the food was prepared fresh right there in front of us. We had access to seconds and it was wholesome and nutritious and delicious. And then coming from that and also eating, you know, pretty well back home in the Congo to just having a plate of tater tots and a slice of, I think it's pizza. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. I, I was, I went hungry that day. I was traumatized and I went home to my mom and said, mommy, I don't know if I can eat the food at the school. I don't know what it is, you know? And so that, that was really a huge, you know, a huge shock for me because food is, it's the basic of, of life. You know, it's one of the basic necessities when you having to kind of change your diet because of your, your, I guess your placement in the world per se, you know, it, it can, it can do some things to you. So that's something that I've always carried with me is the food is drastically different. There's no flavor for me personally. I remember, um, I remember studying Dr. Dr. Sebi and he was yeah. talking about um, the number one thing that is trying to kill us inside of our bodies is the mucus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so all those foods that we had in middle school, especially in the Carolinas, I don't know about other states, I can Mm -hmm. only imagine. But in the Carolinas, middle school and high school, all that is just stuff that builds mucus inside inside of your body. And so we have to be very careful with what Mm -hmm. we're, you know, putting inside of us. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and uh, he did mention that. He mentioned that the root of all disease is is the buildup of mucus. Yeah, you know, and he mentioned that the, the importance of an alkaline diet. Yeah, you know, and I, and I believe that if we know these things, like this is not rocket science. You know, this is not something that's very difficult to grasp. Um, we are responsible for are the children, you know, and um, I've seen, I've seen, I've been paying a little bit of attention because for me, like something as simple as food. I, sh- I don't think it should be that big of an issue to fix, especially when you're talking about schools and children. You know, I don't really understand what the logic is be- behind cutting corners, you know, to maximize amounts of food that have very poor quality, that have very poor nutritional value. Every, you know, they're cre- every yeah. school should be linked directly to, or maybe there's an intermediate, uh, someone in the middle, directly to a farm. Yes, to a farm. Exactly, it make and, and then and and I don't know the science yet behind it. I haven't done, it. but there should be something linking, linking the two, where then they can also learn about agriculture, not necessarily work in the fields, not yeah. that, but learn no, the business absolutely. behind agriculture. We should, yeah. all, at the very minimum, we should be able to understand the land in which we are living on. And I think that's that that's even rudimentary to human existence. Right. I mean, how are we able to we only thrive as far as as we are today because we understood how to cultivate from the land. I believe that that skill set, that's a, that's a very, very significant skill set to have. And I feel that as we have progressed as a society and these conveniences have, you know, popped up. I mean, you're, there's conveniences for everything. I'm not going to be surprised if, you know, we may no longer need to walk very soon. There'll be a convenience for that. Right, right. <laughs> so, it's getting there. It's getting there. <laughs> and it's frightening, okay? Uh, but at the same token, you know, we have to be able now to kind of look at the full picture and, and realize that these conveniences are killing us. It's a, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say a suicide, but I mean, it's almost like that. Like a genocide. Yeah, Exactly. And and like you just said, 
Go ahead. I, I, I was I was hearing a little bit about the the movie Us. Oh yeah, I'm too I'm too afraid to watch that. But yeah, go ahead. I haven't watched it. <laughs> I'm not so there's no spoilers here. But okay. <laughs> but what come what keeps coming back to me from several different sources is mm-hmm. it's a movie about classism. And, mm-hmm. and 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 I you know like I said I haven't seen it, but mm-hmm. I can only imagine when because I know that both sets of people in the movie us are the you know they look the same. Mm-hmm. So imagine if because the, the, if the rich have these private schools and say they are feeding their kids the best and it's not the you know junk food. And they right. are out here, you know, basically building uh, mini empires right underneath our noses. You have the Kardashian Jenner people being billionaires at 18 years old because they, they have the the secret code <laughs> called you know right. social media to be able to boost their stats up. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the elites have access to all the things that we say, well, why don't we have this? Mm-hmm. And the things that you're saying, well, those should be the the basic things. Well, they Absolutely. probably are to mm-hmm. people who are uh, who have positioned themselves to make sure they never go without these things. Because, it, like you said, it's basic common sense that you should be able to understand uh, nutrition with your body mm-hmm. and be able to understand the land in which you are walking on. Those would make yeah. the most sense of someone teaching you. And then also understand financial literacy. It would make yes. the most sense that those would be the three things that you would focus on most, but instead yes. we're reading Shakespeare. <laughs> and and I, you know, and the funny thing is not not to down, you know, any great liter- literary works or anything or or, or or some of the things that we've taken away from schools. Um, right, right. I mean, personally, I the best memories I've had is sports, uh, a good teacher here and there. And uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. I couldn't tell you right. when I learned it after three. I could. <laughs> right, right. No, I understand. Um, yeah, but going back to, you know, this idea of, and I think this is so important. I really hope that people are inspired by this conversation because we definitely have to make this push forward, um, especially towards uh, self, self-sufficiency. I feel that, again, going back to the whole thing about the, all these conveniences, it's kind of withering away our humanness. Is withering mm. away our our basic skill sets that what really makes us human, you know, the desire to survive and the desire to thrive. All these things are being numbed down. Okay, so now we're becoming the species who, I mean, if something were to happen that will force us to, you know, there's the <clears throat> the power grid gets knocked off, or we don't have, you know, we don't have these conveniences anymore. We have to live off the land. Will somebody know how to plant a seed? Well, most, you know, well, most people know when, when the harvest, you know, these little things I think should be understood and known because you never know. And, and, and I, I really also, I have come to learn that, um, as, and <clears throat> I, I even want to consider it food insecurity in the school system, mm. you know, and when we talk about food insecurity, um, this is a topic that I've always been, you know, really fascinated, in, especially when it comes to children in schools, um, and going back to also the same thing with Dr. CB, you know, it's when you have the knowledge that certain foods, you know, are alkaline and can help the body prosper and thrive, you know, to a level like if your body is okay, your mind is okay. Imagine all the great things you can accomplish. 
you know, with the buildup of mucus, with the buildup of all these toxins, that's pretty much in everything we're eating and everything we're breathing and drinking. It's affecting us. It's affecting our psyches. It's affecting the way we conduct ourselves. It's affecting the way we are towards ourselves and to other people. And I don't think that the majority of, of society kind of makes that connection. You know, and it's yeah. true. You are what you eat. If yeah. you're eating toxins and if you're eating, you know, stuff that doesn't make sense, you're 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 slowly evolving into this, you know, into an unhealthy um, human being. And that's going to affect the mind. It's going to affect the spirit. It's going to affect a lot of things. But we let that stuff kind of pass by you, because you, we're so distracted. You, you have you have children. Is that correct? Yes, I do. I have two children. OK, yeah. so. With, with taking this ideology, the way you're thinking, how does that affect the way you raise a human being? Because I'm yeah. always looking at things from a humanitarian side of things. Absolutely. And so you are born in Africa. Do you mm-hmm. consider yourself black or do you consider yourself African or do you just <laughs> consider yourself human? Do you consider yourself a woman? Do you... What like what is I mean I know you consider yourself a woman but what like what's the first thing that you are? Honestly, and I hope this is not overly complicated. I am a soul in my mind. I am a soul mm. first and foremost. Okay. Um. Okay. Yes. Yeah. This is you know <clears throat> we'll definitely delve into that, but um this is also what I've what I've come to realize as being a soul on this planet Earth and also being a human being is that for some reason the ways our mind are structured the way we are structured. We, we oftentimes feel a need for categories. Mm. We feel like we have to organize things in order for things to make sense. Right. Okay. Because if we are unable to compartmentalize everything, if we're unable to put things in, the, in their proper boxes, it can kind of seem like chaotic. Right. Okay. So that's where I feel like this whole emergence of labels and, and categories. Oh, you're a woman, you're black, this and that. I mean, it's, I guess in a way it's it's the humanness of us that kind of needs those labels and things to, to make identify. sense of things. Yeah. Yeah. So I, but personally, it's lazy. I don't, I don't really care for all of that. You know, um, for me, I've always thought in my own essence that I am a soul that is experiencing the human experience. Okay. So if, I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm a man, but I could say that I'm a man and who are you to tell me that I'm not, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it we are, the conversation can get so, tricky is so complicated so i just keep it simple like i'm a soul you know and i'm just i'm just living this life and i'm trying to evolve into becoming a better soul you know um my thoughts on that that's a whole different conversation but my thoughts on that are pretty extensive but going back into being a mom and how i'm trying to you know already implement these things into my very young children i have a three-year-old daughter um and i also have a well he's about to be nine months old in a few days but a nine ninth month old son and okay. um, what was really, and, and this is where the culture shock kind of, you know, plays again, a huge role. Um, when I had my children, I, I, I had them both naturally. Okay. So that was already like a, a weird flag for most young women or mm-hmm. women, because they're like, why would you have your kids naturally and endure all that pain? So back up, back up, back up. So when you say naturally, you mean like yeah. in the living room with a swimming pool type thing, or did you go somewhere else? Oh. Yeah, when I mean naturally, I mean in a birthing center with the midwife and a doula and no pain medication. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's gotcha. what I mean by that. Just want to make sure. I didn't have. I gotta keep yeah. up. 
Okay. <laughs> sure. Um, yes, I, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't comfortable with the whole doctor setting, doctor's office. Um, I felt that it was kind of rushed for me. I didn't really see the. I didn't really feel that extra love and tenderness and care that I wanted, especially with having a new life inside of me. Mm-hmm. So I did my research. You know, if you don't know something, what do you do? You look it up, right? right. I did my research and um, I found a great facility. And I actually had both of my children at the same facility with the same midwife, you know, three years apart. Um, and I would not have done it any other way. Um, and that's something that I tried to really instill in in women my age or whichever age, just as women, is that some. I feel like, again, society has made these conveniences that dull, you know, our sense of who we are. As a woman, we were literally created not only to host life, but to deliver it naturally. There's women, all millions, hundreds of millions of women all over the world who don't have access to these luxuries. Mm -hmm. And they're out there on the field, who knows, you know, anywhere giving birth to these beautiful babies and for me, I wanted to connect with that population of women. You know, I think it also reminded me, um, it connected me to my to my home, my motherland, because I know a lot of, my mom didn't have medication. You know, she, she, she brought me and my sister here naturally. And I kind of wanted to continue that tradition of being, uh, and I'm not, not to say that women that do have epidurals are less of a, they're not, you know, everybody is different. I understand the pain. I get it. The pain is excruciating. Do what works for you. But at the end of the day, I think there's something so empowering about reminding yourself that you are created to do this thing without the help of synthetic organisms entering your body, if that makes sense. You know, and I think that um, I really I, personally, I love making a push towards that. Like, hey, you know, there, um, you should try getting a midwife, try getting a doula. The experience is, is not only different, but it's better. You know, you feel so much better there. And from what I've experienced, it's been a really, really awesome, you know, awesome thing to do. So let's take a um, step back. Let's look at the black equity. Yeah. Okay. So a midwife. So is that like a private mm-hmm. institution that I'm basically paying privately outside of a hospital? I did not have to pay. And this is this is what makes South Carolina a little bit different and even better. Okay. I didn't have to pay a dime for a mid for my midwife and doula. Um I was, you know, I have, I have um, Medicaid. Gotcha. So what helped was that the, the, the birthing center, they actually are, they work with, you know, clients that do have that type of insurance. And this is where it also gets tricky because insurance, you know, and I, I, I never even realized that had I not had the insurance, maybe I wouldn't even been able to do that. Right. You know, because, um, and the funny thing is I was looking at a birthing center in Charlotte and when I saw the act, how much it cost, I was like, oh my God. You know, think about classism and, you know, I mean, exactly. I couldn't afford it. I, I'm in the wrong class bracket if I were to have, you know, to, to be given that option. It's thousands of dollars. It's very expensive to try to do it the natural way. To do it. Um, a re- That's what I'm saying. The the regular life. The regular <laughs> yeah. life that we all like came here to do. And like we're both like we all rushed into uh, the egg and came out nine months later. Yes. To this planet, and we said, "Oh, we get to live a regular life where we get these basic things." And right. then we looked up, and the basic things have become the premium. Yes. Wow. Wow. What a way to put it. Yes. And then the 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 least essential thing that you could eat, maybe a McDonald's burger, is now mm-hmm. the basic. It, it's the yeah. the bare minimum of junk. 
has been sold as the basic and the, the basic salad is the premium because now I got to pay $15, $20 instead of paying a mm-hmm. dollar for my McDonald's burger. How backwards is that? How is it that a McDonald's burger now, let's break down the burger. We're talking about the beef. The beef came from an animal that had to be taken care of. You know, we're talking about the bread, all these things. How is it that all these ingredients, all these components, you know, for something that, I mean, it's kind of complicated to make a hamburger. You got to do certain things to it. So that's more, that's, that's, excuse me, that's cheaper. That's, that's not as expensive as, I don't know, a salad. Yeah. A salad like that we can, a salad greens. I know. Like, no, I don't, it, it. It does not. It's so backwards to me, and this is how I know that it's systemic, that it's it's on purpose, mm-hmm. because logically it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. How is like how is it? You know that no 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 something that's that's poisonous, something that's full of toxins and chemicals, can be cheaper mm-hmm. than something that that you know that's healthier for for us. Even if even if it's a basic salad. Well, we just why would they do that? We just did an episode that uh, was released on last Friday. Mm-hmm. And it was about March Madness. And mm-hmm. what we talked about in that episode is in college, because they call it amateur sports mm-hmm. and not professional sports, that one trick of a word the contract can be the same, but because it's called mm-hmm. amateur, we don't have to pay you as, wow. as an athlete. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you come underneath the NCAA rules, you can't make any money off of your likeness, off of your image, off of anything dealing with your name. You cannot profit off of it while you're underneath our lock and key. Mm-hmm. That in itself, no matter how much you sell me on, well, they're getting an education and they're doing this, the fact that you have to no. own my likeness. Yes. And you, <laughs> you can go make college basketball video games, make millions of dollars, and I'll never see a penny. Mm, unacceptable. So whenever you start asking, well, how is that possible? It's only possible because someone tricked your mind. Yeah, because you let it. In exactly. Way, you know? Yeah. You you true. let it be sold to you that this is your reality, and you said, and you said, oh, okay. Yeah. And you just took it and ran with it. Yeah. And and it's so it's interesting that you say that because when I have conversations about you know activism or whatever whatever topics that um kind of come out of my brain at the time with people, mm-hmm. I it always reverts back to the to the thought you know because I'm always asking how how is this happening, why is this happening, how come you know. Right now, kids, kids that are in, in, in low socioeconomic uh, communities in these schools, you know, have access to, to I mean, to all this, to, to all this food that's, that's really, you know, that's not healthy for them. How is it? And, and I always have to kind of like take a step back and remind myself, we are the ones responsible for everything that's happening, for, for the majority of it. We're the ones responsible, you know, because at the end of the day, as a society, as if oh my gosh, I always get really you know kind of rambled up with this. Okay. But as a society, as a people, as a community, we are the ones that are allowing a lot of these travesties to occur. 
is it because we're perhaps we're you know uneducated on certain things maybe um perhaps we're too distracted from all this jibber jabber that's happening all around us maybe but there's there are a lot of things that are that are almost making it very difficult or almost prohibiting the the common group of people to band together and and try to make sense of this like wait a minute if I don't like what my children or what our children are being served at the elementary school, why don't I do something about that? Well, you know, why don't I band up with the rest of this of the parents, the rest of the district, whoever you know? Social media is out there. Come on, make a story. The news out is out there. You know, have have um, independent scientists come and test the food or whatever. So many different things can be done. You know, and if we all, if we band up as a community and we do this thing, you, I always believe, you know, a lot of change can happen. A we lot of things we need to build. We need to build our own schools. I mean, simple. That's that's really the. And then, <laughs> and then we need to take the idea. Whoever wants and to do it, it that's there. fine. Link it up with black farmers. Yes. Oh man. Whoever's listening, call me up. Link it up with black farmers. Link it up with mm-hmm. HBCUs. Mm-hmm. The the structure's already there. We just don't trust each other. And that's so sad. How do we resolve that? How do we rebuild the trust? Where was the trust broken? You know, like <laughs> what is it? Why why the why trust was broken when we started staring at a TV instead of talking to each other. Uh-huh. And we don't own any of these channels that they call programming. Yes. And for the last 30 to 40 years, I was one of them. We've been programmed. Mm-hmm. I almost think I sat there and let myself get programmed. So then I knew that I was being programmed. So then I can mm-hmm. come out now and say, hey, guys, they were programming us all along. Wow. That's because I remember being programmed. Like, yes. as a, like, I remember as a human sitting there as a child watching all these things and, pro- and seeing I was being programmed to think a certain way. Me too. Even with my hair, that you know mm. what, and I that 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 was the biggest thing that made me realize, like, hold up, wait a minute, something's not right, you know, because you see television now. I mean, come on, ever since I was a little girl, and most girls can identify the whole relaxer, you know, phenomenon in the black community. My God, you know, if I, if anybody's hearing this that has relaxers in their drawers, please do yourself a favor and go throw that in the trash can. Now, you know, because the programming, I used to see these beautiful girls that I wanted to look like. What did they hair? They were black, brown, whatever you want to call, you know, but their hair was was long and silky. And but how, you know, our hair does not naturally grow out of our scalp in that in that fashion. It curls, it coils, it rises to the universe. It's a, it's a natural crown, literally, you know, so but the programming was so deep. You know, I was amongst girls. Everybody had their their hair straight and their hair relaxed, swinging in the wind, pretending to be girls that were not, you know. And and it took, I was actually 19 years old. Nine, it took me 19 years to look at myself in the mirror and be like, wait a minute. Who am I trying to perpetrate? Is this really who I am? You know, and, and it's just in that sudden question and kind of just realizing the, the power in my own natural beauty, which is a, it's a it's a rough thing to do now. Conditioning sucks, but the unconditioning process, the taking away what you have learned, what was taught to you, like being stripped bare almost and not having to decide, okay, I got rid of all this stuff, all this crap that they've tried to put on me, but now I don't have anything. What what should I do? Who am I? 
you know, what do where do I go from here? And and once you know the simple thing of me just uh, stop, you know, um, of of not doing relaxers anymore, not using crazy chemicals in my hair. I, I cut off all my hair, had a little short afro, and I've been growing it ever since, and I feel great. Something as small as that, it, it did a huge thing to my mental. You know, it, it allowed me to to just become a stronger a stronger person. If I can stand up and say, you know what, this is who I am. And if you don't like my curls and coils, well, I don't care. You know, this is right. who I am. And that's, right. it is what it is. You know, that that's a power. That's a power that I really want younger girls and women alike to really to use and exercise. And you see the growth. I've definitely seen, I have noticed the growth of young, you know, black women, whoever, however you want to describe them. Just kind of taking uh, taking control of themselves, and they start with their hair. Like I'm going natural, and that's a big step. That's a huge step towards the right the right direction. I think. I, I I believe the unconditioning process is the wisdom that you came to share with us today. It, oh wow! Going yeah. to that process of unconditioning yourself yes. is probably it may be one of the most beautiful things a, a part of humanity. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the worst parts of humanity obviously was slavery. Yes. And imagine, imagine mm-hmm. unconditioning yourself mm-hmm. from slavery. There's really nothing more powerful. Yeah. Oh, than yeah. Knowing at one point you were that. Yes. For those, for those who had never been, they'll never have to uncondition themselves from that. Mm-hmm. They'll never have to have sat in, in America during these last 50 years during this experiment mm-hmm. that we call a government, that we call a society. It's all just an experiment. They have no idea mm-hmm. what they're doing. We're just human beings who landed on Earth and we, we are, we've made some things work and we've had a lot of failure. As we look up, we are destroying the Earth every day. And and destroying minds, all in the name of what we call dollars, which is insane, insane to me. But we made up a fake currency, and then we (laughs) make up values, and then we make people buy into these these buy. Think about it. At one point, there was no McDonald's. Now you may trust McDonald's to feed you more than you would trust me to feed you. Imagine that. You would, no one would just come knock on my door and say, feed me, but they'll go to McDonald's because the name's on there. You don't know who's feeding you and what, what they're putting in your food. No idea. You, you don't know the, the, the teachers at these schools. You need to go no talk idea. to these people. You don't know what they're feeding your children. Exactly. Because for, for my biggest fight in middle school and high school was with teachers. Mm-hmm. Not, not all of them. But there was a, a, a certain type of teacher who didn't want you to grow and learn. They wanted you to obey. And because okay. because they approached it in an in a, in a obey situation, yes, because of who what, my background, yeah, I can't I can't obey you just because it's school. <laughs> Because I'm 13, 14, 15, and you're 30 or 40 years old, magically are supposed to obey? I don't believe schooling should be about obeying. I do believe there should be discipline. Mm-hmm. 
But what greater discipline than to be a friend? What greater discipline than to love one another? Not to put hate on one another. It just makes you wonder. But I'll say this. The unconditioning process is what I'm leaving with today. Are you looking to potentially launch your own podcast? Because I think this would be some of these topics that you're talking about would be Mm -hmm. a really great platform um, for other people to hear. Yeah. And um, and to kind of just tie everything together with the unconditioning process in motherhood, there is there is something else I would like to add. Um, Okay, go ahead. Okay. Now it gets really tricky now, you know, when, when, especially as a young, <clears throat> a young millennial, you know, if we had to put myself in a category, I'm 25 years old. Okay. So I had my first child at the age of 22, 21, 22. And um, at that time, I didn't know what was going on. You know, I was literally at that brink. I wasn't, I was in college. So I was at that brink of, of the straddle between the, okay, I'm being conditioned to be, you know, everything that my parents want me to be, everything that society wants me to be at the cost of my own curiosity, perhaps okay. at the cost of my own sanity, perhaps. OK. And then that was the other straddle. The other leg was, oh, my goodness, this conditioning is literally insane. They're trying to make me into this this robot lady, you know, who doesn't have any feeling, but who just makes all this money and just is come, become successful in the eyes of the world. Now. As I've been, like I said, as being a young mother and having to kind of straddle the two, the two things, I, I kind of lost it. I'm not going to lie. I had a mental breakdown. At the age of 22 years old, I had a severe mental breakdown. I did not know who I was. I didn't know what to do. You know, I had a, a nine-month-old daughter, and I looked at her, and I was just crying because I felt that I failed, that I was mm. failing as a mother. I didn't know who, like, how can I teach my daughter to learn about herself if I didn't know how to even begin that process, you mm. know? So I have to make a very, very different. And this isn't another thing about motherhood. You're also straddling to your, you're straddling being selfish and you're straddling being selfless. It's be, being a mother. It's like you, we have to learn how to maintain a balance of the both because I had to learn to be selfish enough to correct myself. You know, even if it meant that my daughter had to be with my parents, you know, for an extended amount of time, I couldn't see her. I couldn't be with her how I wanted to be with her because I had to fix me and figure out who I really was, you know. And um, but this is how, you know, this is how the catch 22 came, because even I'm I'm still undergoing the process now. But then I had my son, you know, and we in, in America, you know, we know what the story is. We understand the history. We kind of we understand that. Raising a black child, let alone a black boy, is scary here, you know, mm-hmm. and he's only nine months old. But I'm thinking like in the future, like, wow, I'm going to have to sit my kids down one day and tell them this to, to warn them that because of their, their, their tone of their skin, some things may happen to them that wouldn't happen to, you know, to their counterpart or somebody else. And that's that's a very funny thing to do. But again, going back into motherhood and the un- unconditioning process, it is not easy. You know, I mean, easy. I don't even think that word should be in the dictionary of that, of that, the scheme of, of, of things, because, you know, it's going to take a lot of, it took a lot of crying. <laughs> it took right. a lot of prayer. 
it took right. a lot of of trying to make sure that I was not fair, like trying to not beat myself up. You know, I had to remind myself like the only way that I can be the best mother and the best woman, you know, to my children is if I get myself together and and, and unconditioned. I have to get rid of all this stuff. I got to wow. I got to get I got to clear all this stuff out so that by the time, you know, and hopefully it'll be very soon. I'm, I'm doing it now. I'm getting there, you know. But by that time, when I am fully prepared, you know, my children will, will benefit the fruits of that hard labor. They're not going to be confused about who they are. They're going to eat healthy things and know how to cultivate the land and, and want to, you know, start projects with their friends and do all these things. Because mommy took the time to break down all this stuff, even though she was getting criticized, even though she was being condemned, even though she was seen as nothing, whatever the outside may have looked at me as, I know what I'm, I'm getting rid of all this stuff, you know, and I'm, and I'm trying to, to put, to put on me the, the, the newer things and the better things that make more sense so that whatever I produce from here on out can be of the benefit of not only my kids, but of everyone around me. You know, right. so it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to hurt a lot, but it's a necessary process. And I really look forward to, sh- to sharing that that journey with everyone. So yeah, I, I think a lot of people need to hear that. Really? I think, <laughs> yeah, I do. I think a lot of people need to hear that. And I know we've talked in the past um, about you doing a podcast. I think you you yes. should do uh, a podcast where you are talking about that as much as you want to, weekly, monthly, yeah. or ever long. Because I don't hear those, I don't hear that voice out there. You know, I can only say but so much in my limited perspective Mm -hmm. of what I see, Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to see more people out there giving uh, your perspective, and only you can do that. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing that. But so, tell people where they can reach out to you, uh, how they connect, uh, connect with you, and maybe any services that you and your company may provide. Yeah, sure. So I'm pretty much found everywhere. My name is Yasmin Mwamba. Um, it's spelled Y-A-S, M as in mom, I, N as in no. The last name is M as in mom, W-A, M as in mom, B as in boy, A. That is my name. That's You can find me on Facebook. Um, I am currently the executive administrator and creative director for the Great Endeavors Group. And we are pretty much a small employment agency located here in Columbia, South Carolina, that works within the final expense market. So if by any chance you happen to be located in Virginia, Georgia, um, South Carolina, Maryland, D.C., or New Jersey, please feel free to contact us. We are on Instagram, at Great Endeavors. We're on YouTube, so you can find us there as well. We're on Facebook. uh, We're on LinkedIn. It's just, you know, you could probably find us anywhere. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, speaking to other people, kind of building these bridges. We got to get to building bridges again, you know, um, and, and really making something out of that. So feel free to contact me. As far as the podcast, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, just keep this title in mind because I will come. You'll remember, like Yasmin <laughs> said it. Um, it will be called The Bloom in Retrospect. Okay. And it, we're going to talk about that unconditioning process, you know, while simultaneously trying to live this life amongst all the chaos. So gotcha. I'm excited for that. Um, I look forward to it. Me too. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm so excited. Oh, no problem. So before before you go, you don't yeah. have to, 
Uh, do you have any questions for Black Equity, for me, for for the program uh, that that you're dying to ask? Uh, we yes. want to uh, to answer any questions on that end. Yes, I do. So, when are we going to have, uh, or when are you, or, or are you planning at all to have a Black Equity function per se? Great like question. Great gathering? question. I'm looking at a, a few partnerships. Okay. Um, so yes, I think it's time to like really get into the community. So I I'm, I want to work with actually companies like yours where yeah. we can be in multiple states uh, and do um, um, different vendors. So yeah. yes, I am looking at doing that. I want to be able to have you know five to ten different vendors. Yeah. and put together um, an opportunity for us to sit down and have some real conversations. Yes. Maybe more off-mic. Uh, maybe those will be called the off-mic sessions that oh, wow. you know, nice. we don't have to worry about who's listening. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, that is coming. So, stay tuned. I'm so... That's great. So, absolutely. Awesome. Make sure that was there. Okay, great. And anything else? Trying to think. Okay. Um, I sure. mean... Yeah, and I want to ask you this, too, because I'm kind of curious. Um, you know, sure. since I'm also going to be embarking on the podcast journey and lifestyle, do you have any tips or, like, any recommendations, you know, that you kind of learned while you've been doing it for, for a while now? Um, uh, consistency and being persistent. Okay. Yeah. That has been the thing, is like, the, the days where I really don't feel like sitting down and putting together a show mm-hmm. um, I will try to find a way to put together the best possible show actually the best shows are the ones where I really didn't want to do anything right mm-hmm. and so just 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 putting your head down and 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 uh, doing it you, you know I took the crazy task of doing it daily mm-hmm. um, because I know that's just the kind of person I am. If I do something, I want to go all the way. In. All the way. You've been doing yeah, incredible. All the way. Yes. And um, and actually, one of my favorite podcasts is called The Daily. And I I consider it the white version of Black Equity because they look at, it's, it's done by New York Times, and they look at what's going on daily mm-hmm. uh, in their culture, really. And mm-hmm. sometimes, they, sometimes they bleed over into our culture, but for the most part, it's their culture. Yeah. And so this is kind of my response. I listen to their podcast and see what they're talking about. And it gives me an opportunity to say, well, in our culture, here's what's really popping. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that's what we do over here at, at uh, Black Equity. That's awesome. Keep doing it. You were I'm telling you, you're doing something major because, yeah, people. Oh, man, people need this. And I'm definitely going to keep doing my my part and sharing like sharing it out there more. Um, but on behalf of myself and everyone else, we're so thankful for you and, you know, just your willingness to do something like this and sharing with us. Um, knowledge is nothing if it can't be shared. Wisdom is nothing if it can't be shared. So, But it takes a lot of courage to share. So thank you yes. for that. Yes, and you're welcome. I'm grateful for everyone who's listening, and I'm grateful for this conversation today. I know it's going to bless a lot of lives. Yasmin, thank you for coming on the show, and you are welcome back anytime. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Y'all have a blessed day. Peace, love, and light. Peace out.